right? Hey, go and pull out your message guide notes. There's a few things in there that uh, we're going to go ahead and go over. All this is just a way for you to track along with us. Like I said, we're wrapping up our third part of our exponential series, and we've been on a three-week journey talking about this concept of how our God is an exponential God. Our God is so big that he has big plans, not just for, uh, just for the general people, but also specifically you. Uh, there is a verse in uh, the book of Jeremiah that talks about that even before you were a thought for your, in your mom and dad's mind or even before you were in your mother's womb, God has a plan and a purpose for you. And so I just want to make that known for you guys. This is exactly what that, what that looks like. Uh, the first, we kind of just recapping. Uh, the first week we talked about how God may give you a promise and of an exponential plan, but sometimes that means that you're going to have to wait for a little bit. How many of you guys like to know you like to have it now and have it your way, right? Uh, that's, just, that's just how we operate. Uh, that's why we love fast food, because we can have it now, we can have it your way. And, uh, but sometimes God doesn't work like that. And I would say, I would dare say, most of the times, God doesn't work like that. What he'll do is when we surrender at his feet, he'll give you kind of a glimpse into a promise or a plan that he has for you. But there's going to actually be a time of waiting, a time of kind of just sitting there. And it could look like, it may feel like, that God's not doing something, or maybe that God forgot. And so we looked at the story of Abraham and Sarah. How I many of you guys know Abraham and Sarah from the book of Genesis? We looked at them, and God gave them a glimpse in that they were gonna, he was going to give them a son. He was going to give birth to the nations, and they were all excited and ready to go. Um, but it took about 10 years to make that happen. And in between those 10 years or so that the scholars say, uh, they actually try to take what God promised them into their own hands. And the big point of the first part of the exponential series is that God's promises only come to life only through his, through his effort, not yours. Through his effort, not yours. And so uh, that was just a really big time for, for the, kind of kicking off the series. Uh, last week, we kind of narrowed the scope to our town of North Platte, and we talked about that. If God has exponential plans for everyone, that includes everyone in the town of North Platte. Uh, I, last week, I talked about how in rural towns, I, I'm, uh, I grew up in the country of Montana, and I know kind of the stigma that small towns get and how it can be so easy just to kind of live in the mundane things of life and to kind of just go through the routine just to kind of get by, or maybe I should say just to comfortably live. And God says, you know, I'm not done with you. If you're still breathing on this earth, you still have a plan. And that includes everyone here that lives in North Platte. And so we did something that can be a little scary on the outside, but we looked at what if God wanted to do something here? What if? What, what if what the North Platte sees as problems is God's opportunities for us to jump in and intervene and do something great? Uh, I think the biggest uh, thing that we can see now is the thing of Nebraska with the floodwaters and the blizzards and all these different things are going on. And it's a huge problem. I agree with that. It's a huge problem. I got of my father-in-law that has lost uh, dozens of, of uh, just uh, calves in the calving season and all this stuff. And it's a huge problem. And I agree with that. But what if? What if? This could be a God opportunity for the Rock Church to do something. What if this is a God opportunity for you to jump in and do something that didn't bring you glory, but brought God glory? What if? What if? And so last week, that's what we talked about. You can catch up on all that at therockmp.com. But today, we're going to kind of just wrap everything up talking about the exponential reward. Can everyone say exponential? Exponential. Everyone say Reward exponential reward. I'll start off with this. I'll start off with this question. 
What if back then you knew what you knew now? What if like 10 years ago you knew what you know now? I had this question pop up. Uh, I got my high school reunion coming up. It's our 10 years, so you guys can kind of guess how old I am. Um, but it's a 10-year uh, class reunion, and, and uh, what they did is they took the, uh, the yearbook and they made it all digital on this private Facebook page, and so you can kind of look through it and all that stuff. And I saw some of the stuff that I did, some of the pictures that I saw, and some of the quotes, and I was looking at all that stuff. In fact, I put something on my Facebook page that I thought, hey, here's a kind of inside glimpse to your pastor of what I looked like back in the day. Uh, and so you guys saw that. Uh, I had earrings and a flat bill and all that fun stuff. And so, but, but I, it made me ask this question, man, what if I knew then what I knew now? Like the wisdom and everything that comes with age, what, what if I knew that back then? Uh, how many of you guys grew up during the 80s? Come on now, raise, come on, a little participation here. Yeah, yeah, the hairdo that you picked out, what if you knew then what you knew now? And so I saw all the stuff that I did and the quotes and all the shenanigans I pulled off, and I'm like, man, I was kind of an idiot sometimes, most of the times. Like, oh. And I think a lot of us, we'd probably ask that question, what if I knew then what I knew now? I, I, I probably wouldn't have dated that person. I probably wouldn't have chased after that college degree. I probably would have went to college. I probably wouldn't have done this. I probably wouldn't have done that. And, and really, you can, get a, you can get caught up in all of that. You, you can. And I would, I would say don't do that because a lot of that, that's just part of life, but the quote of what if I knew then what I knew now is actually a very Christian concept, a concept that I want to share with you uh, this morning. They say hindsight's 2020, right? But today we're going to look at a story that shows that the future is just as clear as the past. And the story is going to show us and really end this series on a great note that if it is possible, is it possible to live an exponential life? that reaps an exponential reward. And as soon as I said that, maybe some of us who thought, man, my life doesn't seem very exponential right now. In fact, I don't feel at all exponential, let alone a reward that sounds exponential, but I don't see that in my future. I don't see, like, what exactly do you mean? And I would dare say maybe, maybe we've kind of lived a life that maybe we missed some exponential parts. Maybe we lived a life that we missed some exponential parts. And so I have to ask this question is, how do we live a life that is exponential? And maybe I should ask this, what is your focus right now in your life? What is your focus right now in your life? Christians all over are missing a life that could be exponential in God. They're missing out on an exponential life. And I do, and I believe it's due to this. And, and this is my opinion, so you guys can agree or disagree. But I, I think this is, is maybe a, a major fact in it. I believe it's because we are consumed by the temporary rather than focused on what is eternal. That's actually the first point in your notes. I think we miss out on a life that could be exponential in God because we're focused on the things that are temporary. They're, they're just here for the meantime. They're going to disappear sometimes. We might lose it. We might get caught up in something. It might burn away. It might flood away. It might get snowed away. And we focus on things that are temporary, not the things that are 
eternal. I believe that this answers the question of why do we often miss living an exponential life? Paul actually wrote a letter to the book of Colossians or to the church of Colossians, uh, Colossae. It's called the book of Colossians. A church, they were going through some issues and one of the issues that they were wrestling with is that they're so focused on the temporary things, they forgot what their true focus should be. And my prayer is that as we wrap this up, that when we leave this and we actually move transitions to our Easter service and where we're going to be pushing uh, evangelism and, and inviting your friends and trying to bring in the Easter season with a, with a really big bang and, and joy. Uh, I pray that this gets us to that point because I think we need to shift our focus from the things that are not eternal because we're so consumed by the things that temper. This is what Paul says to the, to the church of Colossae. This is what he says, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. It's also in your message guide notes. It says this, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, meaning that you are a Christian, you have stepped in relationship with Jesus, you believe in Jesus, this is what you need to do. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in place of honor at God's right hand. Then he says in verse 2, think about, think about the things of heaven not the things of earth. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. What's Paul saying? He's saying, stop focusing on the things that aren't gonna be here when you're up in heaven. But there are things that we do here that have kingdom impact. That this life here matters with what happens up there. So, don't focus on the things that aren't going to roll over or transport over with you that, you know, all that stuff. It, that's temporary. But what is God doing kind of bringing heaven to earth? What is God doing here that you can join in that has a kingdom impact? So I want to share a popular story from the Bible. It's actually a sto the story of the talents, a story, we, we, they call it biblically speaking, a parable of the talents. And a lot of times we share the story for when we talk about the concepts of money, and there's going to be a little bit of that, but that's not going to be the focus because there's this concept of the talents is really much more than that. I heard another preacher talk about, about this, and there was a light bulb that went off in my, kind of in my head because and it, wasn't, it wasn't about the story of the talents themselves. It was actually about a little piece of scripture at the beginning of the story. It's, it's when Jesus introduces the story in Matthew 25, verse 14, and Jesus, what he's doing, he's giving an insider glimpse of how heaven operates. Did you know heaven operates in a certain way? And so he's giving an insider glimpse of how heaven operates, and, and he, goes, he goes on and starts out with this. He says, heaven is like this, and that was my light bulb moment thinking, okay, this is much more than just money. This is actually how heaven operates. And it goes to the concept, what if I knew then what I know now? And Jesus is saying, you don't have to worry about that because I'll let you know right now how heaven works. So you can live in this life that has a kingdom impact. That when you get up to heaven, you don't have to say, oh man, I wish I knew what you were just saying to me now that I knew when I was down there. God's saying, no, 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 I'll show you exactly how that works. So let me give you the, 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 the parable of the talents. I'm going to give it to you in the PVT version. That's the Pastor Vaughn's translation. Um, it's a really great translation. 
Um, but Jesus is giving an insider glimpse, and he says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A, a boss was going on a, a trip, and he had three servants. And so he went to the three servants, and he said, hey, I'm going on a really, really big business trip, um, but I have a few things I need to give to you guys to take care of while I'm away. So to one, he gave 10 talents. To one, he gave two. And to the other one, he gave one. And so he went away on his business trip, and the servants were there, and they're entrusted with what the boss gave them. They're entrusted with what the master gave them. So the master comes back, and he pulls up the servants, and he says, hey, uh, what did you guys do with the talents that I have given you? And he said, the one that had five talents came forward. I messed that one up. But the one that five talents came forward, and he said, hey, you know what, master? I, I took the five talents you gave me. I invested it. Look, I doubled it. So I, not only did I take care of it, but, man, I increased it. You know, here's your ten talents. And so the master, he was like, man, that was a super good job. So they're high five and chest bump and all that stuff does, and they're doing really, really well. Well, then the other servant came up, the one that had two. He says, do you know what? You also gave me two talents. I also went and invested it. Now I have four. Here's four talents for you. And so the master's like, man, like you guys are on a roll. Like you're doing really, really good. So they're celebrating all that. And then he goes to the third servant. And the third servant says, hey, you know, I, I, I know how you operate, and I know, you know, you, you reap where you don't sow, and, and, you know, I was, frankly, I was a little scared because I didn't know what you wanted me to do with it, so what I did is I took the one talent, and I went, and I buried it, and when I heard that you're coming, I unburied it, cleaned it off, and you know what, I, I didn't lose it, but here's, here's your one talent, but then what the master says next is so weighty, I want you to feel it just for a little bit, so weighty, because remember, this is how the kingdom of heaven works. The master said to the third servant that didn't do nothing with the talent that was given to him, he said, you wicked and slothful servant. Get away from me. I don't know you. But what's the big deal? Because in this story, the master is God. And we are his servants. And there's something that comes to the point where God is going to give us certain things to steward for kingdom impact. And the last thing we want to do is to be fearful of it and bury it. You wicked and slothful servant, get away from me because I don't know you. This is the parable of the talents, and it's not just a story, but as I just said, this is actually according to Jesus how heaven operates. And so I just want to pull just three things from this this morning. I want to show you three specific things, but first we need to figure something out. What's a talent? So preachers have preached this, and I found something out this last week that was super interesting. A talent, it could be worth, you know, $10,000, and I say it's actually money. But here's what's interesting. The New Testament is written in Greek. And so talent, the word talent in Greek is actually the very definition of how we use the word talent today. You know how we use talent, right? Our gifts, abilities, time, resources, all those good things that we have, uh, natural capabilities, competence, all those things, like the natural talent. That, that's what this word breaks down to. It's this, it is the, just that a talent. And so the master, he didn't just give them money, but he gave them everything, everything in their ability to steward that talent in a way that they were competent enough to know what they were doing. Meaning this, he gave them a talent... And the excuse of, I don't know how to use that, could not be used. 
God has given each of you talents. And if you would trust God, you know how to exactly use them. So here's some key things from this story that we can use to help us live an eternal focus, really. Remember, we're shifting from the things that are temporary to the things eternal. The first shift that we have to do, the first thing that we have to realize is this, is that God owns everything. God owns everything. Look at the beginning of the parable, Matthew 25, 14. It says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them whose property? His. His. It was always the master's property, even when he had given it to the servants to steward. It was always the master's property, even when it was given to the servants to steward. This is one of the key things to live in this life that we're just going to be like the, uh, like the servants, that we have to realize that we are actually stewards in this life, not owners. We are stewards in this life, not owners. And this idea is huge in your life that if you live in this life knowing that you don't own anything and you're just stewards, it causes you to live a life with an open hand. But sometimes we're the opposite. We think we're owners because I worked hard for it. I'm the one that got the raise. I'm the one that bought that. Or as I tell my kids, nothing in this house is yours. I bought it. It's mine. You guys have said that too. Don't judge me. <laughs> but we, we hold it with, 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 with a, such a tight fist, with, with a closed hand. But if we realize that in this life, we're actually not owners, we're just stewards, it causes you to open your hand because it's saying, God, I'm not the one who owns it. So I'm going to live with an open hand and I'm going to trust you with what I need to do with it. But once you know that you're just a steward of everything in your life, it's so easy to let go because it's not yours to have. And really, this is why I believe, and this is scripture, that we honor God with a 10% called the tithe. Because what does it do? What does it do? It's not because God needs your money. Newsflash, God doesn't need your money at all. Like, he's not a poor God. He's got everything. But it causes something to shift in us. You see, when we come to God with our first 10% of our income, because in this life, it comes down between God and money. See that? You can read that in Matthew. It comes to God and saying, do you know what? God, I'm going to shift my focus right now and realize that I'm going to give you back what you've already given me. And so here you go. What does tithing do? This is why we teach about this, because it focuses you to be a steward, not an owner. Now, does that mean we give 10% away and 90% is all ours? No. No. But it's saying, God, I trust you. So here's your first 10%. See, it causes you to shift a little bit. I remember when I first tithed, and, uh, you know, it, it, was, um, it wasn't where everyone would probably think of, hey, I should start tithing. I remember when we first wrote our first tithe check. Um, we were just married, and uh, we were actually negative in our bank account. We were actually negative $600 in our bank account. Because I was horrible with money. I was, I'm a spender, if you didn't know. And so, like, I was horrible, and I would buy stuff, and my, you know, my wife was in block, and I was on a Walmart salary, or a Walmart just kind of just, I was a cashier, so whatever cashiers made back, I think it was like 8 15 or something at that time. Wasn't making a whole lot of money. And so, but I kept spending, kept spending, kept spending, and, and finally, we got to the bank account, and it says it was negative $600. And it was bad enough that we were super embarrassed to drive up to the clerk at the bank, because they knew who we were. 
We were that family. They knew it. Like, how embarrassing is that? They know who you are. And so we're like, okay, like we need to get a handle on this. And the pastor talked about this series called The Blessed Life that comes with the first fruits and the tithe and all those great things. And we'll actually talk about that later on in the year. But the point I'm trying to get at is, is when we were thinking about doing it, we we're always saying, that's not the right time. It's not the right time. We don't have enough money to tithe. We don't have enough resources to give to God, give back to God what he first gave us. And it was at that point where we said, you know what? Let's just do it. Let's, I mean, Scripture does say test him. So I guess this will be the pivotal point in our Christian walk where if God doesn't come through, and so we wrote that first tithe check, knowing that if God doesn't come through, the check is going to bounce, and the church will know how our finances are, and then so will the bank. And let me tell you, we wrote that first tithe check. I got my paycheck. We deposited it. It covered all the $600. Didn't have any money for groceries or gas or anything like that. And for the next two weeks, I kid you not, and this is the supernatural blessing that God pours out on you. For the next two weeks, we were getting things in the mail like Walmart gift cards, gas cards. Someone forgot that was my birthday and they gave me a $100 Visa card. I mean, that's God. That is God. And here's what I'm trying to get to is when you realize that you are not an owner and you are actually a steward, God blesses the steward. God blesses the steward. You can see it when the master comes back to the first two servants that they steward the talents well. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you're faithful with the little, I'm going to set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And that's what happens when we realize God owns everything. Now, there's some of us maybe we're thinking, like, that's Old Testament. Yes, you can get it from Leviticus 27.30. That's where we get the tithing concept. But let's look at the New Testament because God actually ups the ante. I think we don't see that when it comes to, uh, when it comes to uh, honoring God with our money and our finances. Romans 11.36, it says this. It says, for everything comes from God and exists by his power, and is actually intended for his glory. Here's a good kind of convicting question. The way that you're spending your money right now or however you're spending your resources, is it bringing glory to God? Because according to the scripture, it says everything comes from God. Everything's intended to be used for his glory. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. So the things that, the talents that the master has given you, are you using it for his glory? Are you using it for his glory? And really, this is how my family lives. We believe we cannot outgive God, and so we live open-handedly with everything that God gives us. And there were times where God asked us to give some things away from the outside. It would seem foolish to everyone else. It would seem absolutely like, like Vaughn, like, why are you doing that? Like, like you were, it seems like you're blessed, now you're just giving it away? Yeah. Because that's what God did with his one and only son. And that's why I'm going to do it. You see, I would almost say, when you realize that you're not owners, you're stewards, you live open-handedly, and you're more willing to bless others with what God has given you. Is this clicking? Is this clicking? Is it? Because I know in the Midwest, we work hard for what we have. We do. I've worked hard for what I have. But at the end of the day, we have to realize that it's, it's actually not mine. 
It's God's. And it's my job to steward what God has given me in a way that will bless others. Just something for you guys to think about. Something for you guys to chew on. Because it will totally change your life when you shift your focus on the things that are actually eternal, have eternal impact like this concept than the temporary. So to live in eternal focus, we need to realize that God owns everything. Here's the second one, and this is one that maybe we don't like hearing all the time, but this is something that I'm going to kind of explain and actually do some teaching on. The second one is this, is that you will actually give an account. It's how, how, how heaven operates. So the master's going to give you stuff to kind of steward, and he's going to come back, and you're going to have to settle accounts. You're going to have to settle accounts. Look at Matthew 25, 19. It says, for after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. There is a time in heaven that we'll have to give an account for everything that God has entrusted us in this life. Because he's the master. He's given you the time. That, let me say that one more time. He has given you the time, all the time in the world that you need to accomplish his will for your life. The one thing I hear all the time is, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough of this. I don't have enough of that. God has given you exactly what you need, even the smarts and the competency to actually make it to come to life. God has given that to you. And there's going to be a time in heaven where you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to settle accounts. Settle accounts. I think this, this concept has been taught to us before, but there, there's still a lot of confusion because when we talk about standing before God and settling our account, uh, we, we think of, uh, of a, for lack of a better word, the judgment seat. We think of a really big, scary guy. Think of a, a person that, that we're like, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell type deal. And that's not what this is. In fact, I, I want to read this to you. Paul is actually reading, addressing the Christians in Rome. He's addressing the Christians in Rome and tells them to remember something. He says this in Romans 14. He says, remember, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. Underline that part because that's actually not the correct translation of the Greek. I'm going to show you what that is. For scripture says that as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to Jesus. Every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account. Now, in there was a mention of a judgment seat. Now, when we think judgment seat, we think of revelations, right? Most of us do. We think of kind of like, oh, that kind of the, the, the separation between the sheep and the goats, the believers and the unbelievers. Well, this is actually translated to the phase called the Bema seat. If you can write that down, B-E-M-A, Bema seat. This is actually very important because this is actually, when I was taught this six years ago, it changed my whole view on standing before God. Because I used to, before learning this, I was very fearful of this part. Very fearful of this part, but this is nothing to be feared. You see, the Bema seat is actually originated from the Athenian Games where we get our common day Olympic tries, the, the common day Olympic tryouts, those type of things. And so what happens is that the runners, they'll run their race, they'll do their all other activities, and then the winners will stand before what they call the Bema seat and receive their reward. You see, when we think of the judgment seat, we think of kind of like an angry judge. And we think of him slamming down his gavel. And we think of, oh, no, what's going to happen to me? And we're kind of fearful. But that's a different judgment. A judgment that if you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, you don't have to worry about. That happens before. You don't, don't worry about that one. This is the one where you're going to stand before God just as the Olympic athletes 
And God, he's going to judge you, but not about your eternity. He's going to give you your eternal prize. He's going to give you a prize that in this life you have been running for. And so I would almost compare it to the time where in the Olympics, where we, have you guys have watched the Olympics, where they stand on the boxes and the judge comes over and places a medal over their head saying, well done, well done. And this is why I'm teaching on this is because for eternal prizes, you run this race here in this world. For that prize, you run the race here. And some of us, we can run well, and it's going to be great. Some of us, you can just walk and do what you want, and you'll still receive a prize. But there is an eternal prize for each and every one of you for how well you ran this race here. And so if you can kind of picture this, God in this life, he is rooting you on. He is cheering you on. He is your biggest fan, and he's giving you everything, all the gifts and abilities to run this race with excellence and to receive the one and only prize that you will receive before the beam of seat. But it starts here. It starts here. And so I want to, and the reason I'm teaching on this, and I, I pray that it's clicking, is because this life it matters. It matters. It matters what you do with your time. It matters what you do with your gifts. It matters with what you do with your abilities because they're not yours. They're given you to by God to fill your mission here on this earth. And the last thing for my church that I don't want to happen is when we sell our accounts and say, Jesus, this is what you've given me. I hid it. I didn't use it. I want us to be like the first two servants that said, Lord, you gave me with the things that I did. And you know, I took some risks and I failed. But you know, at the end of the day, I, re I doubled the investment that you put in me. You see, I want us to be like those people. Effective servants for Christ. There is a reward that I think we need to know. Revelations 22, verse 12, it says, Look, I'm coming soon. Bring in my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Guys, this, this, this time here on this earth, it matters. And it's a very short time compared to heaven. And if there's any conviction that I have listened to the most in the last couple years I've been here is this. We can't say I don't have enough time. I don't have the proper resources. Give what has been given to you for the glory of God. Take some risks. And guess what? You're going to fail. You're going to fail. Let me say that one more time because we hate that word. You're going to fail. But pick yourself back up, dust off your legs, and get back in the game. Let me talk about failure just for a little bit because I, I, I think... I'm praying this is connecting with our hearts. We have looked down on failure so much that we are scared of taking any risk at all. If there is a hint of failure, we're not going to step forward and do it. Because we think failure equals bad. Let me tell you, failure does not equal bad. In fact, I think failure equals wisdom. That the more, <laughs> like how many times did Thomas Edison fail to create the light bulb? 
at least a thousand different ways, but it got him to the one way how to do it. The same way works in this life. Don't be scared of failure. Because you're going to fail, it's going to happen. But get back at it and keep using the gifts that God has given you. It's going to take you exactly where you need to go. So that's just one of the other things that you need, that we need to have to live with eternal focus. So how do we do that? We see that God owns everything, and we know that we'll have to give an account. And the last one that teaches us is, is how to become faithful stewards, meaning this. To become a faithful steward, we must see ourselves as kingdom investors rather than earthly spenders. Angie, if you want to come up on the piano. We must see ourselves as kingdom investors rather than earthly spenders. Now, all this is is changing the lens on how you look at life. We are kingdom investors, not earthly spenders. What, what's spending? What's spending? Spending at, at its, at its uh, kind of basic, uh, basic concept is where you pay, for, you pay with money for something in return. All what spending is, is trading. That's all it is. I am paying you $1 for that candy bar because that candy, dollar, that, that candy bar is worth $1. So all you're doing is trading, but there's no net add meaning that you're not adding value to anything because you spent a dollar on that candy bar. That's spending. And we can live in this life spending, where all you're doing is just swapping. You're not adding any value whatsoever. But investing is a totally, totally different ballgame, where you put something in for an exponential return. Think of a retirement fund or retirement account. That's investing. Here's the thing with heaven. Heaven economy is not a spending economy. It's investing. Where you see yourselves as kingdom investors. Where you actually add value to heaven. Did you, do you know that? You add value to God's work. He does that through you. Because we can live this life, I'm just swapping and trading all the time. But if we're not adding value, what are we doing? We have to see ourselves as kingdom investors, not earthly spenders. Every single day, church, every single day, we have the choice to spend our life or to invest our life. You have the choice to spend your life or to invest your life. Don't pack up yet because this is, this is huge. And this is going to radically change on how you approach your life and you approach your friends and you approach your family and you approach North Platte and as you approach the state and wherever God has called you. You see, you can spend your life, you can spend it on binging on Netflix. What's the return on that? You get to veg for a little bit. It's not bad. It's not bad but you're not getting any net ad with that. So maybe instead of spending it on Netflix, what if you invest in that time in mentoring your child? You see the difference? What, what's your return on investing your child? Your return is that your child grows up well and that gets multiplied back to you because that is what matters in heaven. It's a biblical concept on training up your child in the way they should go. What, 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 if, what, what if you make the choice of spending of spending your life and money trying to accumulate stuff, stuff, and more stuff, or maybe you can invest in that, maybe by sponsoring a missionary, 
or, or, or building wells in Africa or going on a missions trip or sponsoring a meal at the Connection or, or, or pay for free tutoring to help underprivileged kids. Or, and, and your return in that is impacting lives and that matters in heaven so that actually gets multiplied back to you. You see, we are kingdom investors not earthly spenders. Everything that we do here, we have to do it as it is to heaven. Because what we do here matters. This is not just a time to wait until we go up. Because let me tell you, the third servant, he did that. He just took what the master gave him and says, I'll just wait until he comes back and give it back to him. And we think that, oh, what's the harm in that? But if, the, if heaven operates in a system where we have to invest what God has given us and give it back to God, then we have to take our life here a little bit more seriously. We have to start seeing ourselves as spiritual investors. I mean, the best way I can put it I'll end with this story. The best way I can put it is about a missions trip I went on to. I went on a missions trip to Nicaragua about six years ago. And I had all this American money in my pocket. And I love foreign currency. I love it. I think it's beautiful and how they do things. I think it's really cool. But the one thing that the missions trip leader told me, he says, when you get there, don't trade your currency for foreign currency. Don't do that because American dollar money is worth more than what Nicaragua, Nicaragua it's called Cordobas or Cords for short. He says, don't go there and cash because everyone takes dollars there. Everyone takes American money. So don't go to the currency exchange place and exchange it because you don't need that. Well, I didn't listen. So I went there and I had a couple hundred dollars. I mean, I still had some American money, but I had a couple hundred dollars and I just wanted to exchange it. And man, it looked like I had a lot coming back. It was like, man, I got all this jingling change in my pocket. My pockets were like out to here. I'm feeling like Mr. Moneybags and walking around. And I mean, I only had a couple hundred dollars, but man, I felt like thousands of dollars because I had all this colorful money and all this stuff. And I mean, I'm like, man, this is really, really good. And I thought, well, man, you know, I'll, maybe I'll spend some of it and I'll exchange the rest back when I get back on the plane at the end of the week. And so I go through the whole missions trip, let you know that I didn't spend at all any of that money because everyone took American dollars and it was easier anyways to operate through American dollars. So I had all this money and I was on the airplane back home and I realized I forgot to exchange all that money. I forgot to exchange that. So to this day, I have a couple hundred dollars worth of Nicaraguan money. That, see the symbolism in this, that is worthless in my country where I belong. It was worth something where I visited for a short period of time, for a temporary time. And it was worth something there. But when I came back to the place where I belong to, it's worthless because it didn't matter here. We can spend our temporary time here accumulating and trading and all that stuff. And it may seem like the currency here, it works. But if you don't focus on the things that are eternal, when you wake up in heaven, you're gonna realize that there's no currency exchange booth up there. And you're gonna realize the things that mattered and what didn't matter. And I do not want us to approach Jesus settling our accounts and think, man, if I, if I knew then what I knew now, because that excuse is not gonna fly because God already told us how heaven operates. 
All that stuff you've been accumulating, it's worthless in heaven. It really is. I had the biggest DVD collection. Love DVDs. Worthless. I always wanted a big truck. I had my big truck. Worthless. I had all this stuff. That, 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 re, that retirement thing that you've been saving up for, yes, that's good, but that, if that has been your focus this entire time, you've missed the mark. That college degree, if, if that has been your focus, you've missed the mark. If your focus is on the things that are of this world, you have missed it completely. You have to focus on the things that are eternal. Now, are all those things bad? Absolutely not. I have, I have all those things. And let me tell you, they're fun. It's great having money. No one, I have yet to meet a person yet that says, I hate money. But if that has been your focus, you're missing out on the kingdom investments that God has for you. And let me tell you, all around here walking are kingdom investments waiting for you to be like those first two servants to take that risk and go invest. You see, the whole thing about living an exponential life, it's not about just sitting here waiting for God to do some things. And that's, I mean, that's part of it. Abraham and Sarah had to do that. But a large part of it to live an exponential life is just to focus on the things that really matter. I think one of the coolest jobs to have would be those who had all this opportunity to go and do some cool things like building wells in Africa or helping out the fight against AIDS or help plant churches or raise rural pastors or to go over and help uh, raise, you know, pastors in Africa or, or, or wherever, or wherever. But here's the thing is I had to change my focus because that is not something that is a job description for a certain number of people. That's actually something that is a job description for every single Christian. Your job is to invest in the things that matter in heaven. So if you want to live an exponential life, you want to be a part of God's exponential plan for your life, change your focus. Change your focus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. And Lord, I, I pray that you, that you would speak to us, God. That the, word, that the words that I spoke, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would translate them to the things that our hearts need to hear. God, I thank you that you have given us big plans, exponential plans, to do your work. And that, God, that we are kingdom investors, not earthly spenders. That we're in this life on purpose and we have a job to do. There are people that are hurting. People that are waking up in eternity in a place that they thought they'd never wake up in. Lord, our time is short here and we don't want to just get stuck in a routine where we just complete steps one through 10 and we're good to go and we just do it and repeat it again the next day. But Father, that we're going to wake up and we're going to be focused on the things that matter in eternity. And that's people, God. Lord, that we're going to do everything that we can short of sin to reach people. And there's some great opportunities, Lord, coming up opportunities that the world, they may see it as problems, but we're going to see them as God possibilities. Lord, I thank you for this. In your mighty name. I just got just one, uh, two calls to, uh, this morning.
Keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. There's two things. The first one is this. The, the idea of living an exponential life, it seems weird. It does. But that's God's plans for you. So here's what I want to ask you to do. No one's looking. If you, if you are saying, you know what, starting today, I'm going to live that exponential life. Starting today, I'm going to live that exponential life that in return gets an exponential reward. If that is you, would you just slip your hand up saying, no, that is me. I want to live that exponential life. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, amen. Father, I thank you for everyone that raised their hands. And Lord, even those who, who didn't, God, you've placed each person according to their gifts, abilities, and talents. We cannot use the excuse that I am not enough. We cannot use the excuse that I don't have enough. We cannot use the excuse that I'm not right part of the pedigree or the education or I'm not set in the right place or this is not my right time, that I should be born in a different era. It does not matter. We are here on purpose for a plan that can change the world, Father. That is why we are here. And so God, starting down, that we might be a few just in this little church, but God, that we are mighty and that we're gonna go out to the places and the people, God, and we're gonna be intentional and on mission and declaring the life-saving gospel that is brought by your son, Jesus Christ. Holy Father, would you open our eyes to the things that you are wanting us to do, that as we pray that, Lord, we want it on earth as it is in heaven, God, but sometimes our lives might not reflect that. But, Lord, we want heaven to be here in North Platte, God, that no matter who comes through, Lord, we're like one of the safest places right now in the state, and we're going to have refugees from the floods and the blizzards, and they're going to be coming to this hub to seek refuge and want a better place to show the love of Jesus Christ than the Rock Church. What an opportunity. So Father, would, would you help us change the lens in front of our eyes and start seeing this place as a place to invest your kingdom opportunities. Holy Father, you're up to something good. This is my last call. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I... I want to start that exponential life. I want to tell you, I made that decision my sophomore year in high school. And from that day forward, I knew that once I surrendered my life to Jesus, God had a big plan and a big purpose for little old me in little Podunk, Miles City, Montana. And everyone else said, you know what, where do you think you're going to go? What can possibly good come from Miles City? What could God possibly do? Well, let me tell you, they said the same thing about Jesus. What possibly good can come out from Nazareth? Let me tell you, God can do some of the most amazing things with some of the smallest opportunities. So if that is you saying, you know what, I, I, I want to give my life over. I want to give my life. I want to start today with that exponential life. We just slip your hand up saying, no, that's me. I'm giving my life exponentially. I, I want to do that. Amen. Amen. It starts with a prayer and saying, Lord, would you make me clean? Would you make me new? Starting today, I'm running after you. And here's the thing, church, here's the thing, is that we're all about investing and the currency in heaven is not money. It's not that shiny new car, it's not those things. The currency in heaven is souls. 
is souls. And there's a lot of lost souls here in, in North Platte, Nebraska. He's asking you as fishers of men and women to go out there to the highways and byways and compel them to come into a body of Christ. That is our job description as Christians. You have opportunities as soon as you step out of this door to bring people in. May you see that investment. May you see that investment. God, I thank you for this message. Lord, I thank you for this series. I pray, Lord, it's going to prepare us for the good things that you're going to be doing. Lord, I'm excited for what you're going to be doing. I'm excited for the good things that are happening, Lord, even besides the, the material things that are happening in our church. But, Lord, I'm excited for the, the new people that are coming, Lord. I'm excited for when we go do the community group outreach here on April 7th, Father, as we go out to the trailer parks and we love on them and show them that it doesn't matter where what economy you come from or what pay grade you may have, that we love you anyways. And there's a God that loves you even more unconditionally. Holy God, thank you so much for this opportunity. In your name, amen and amen.